welcome to our new season of the Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they became them and what tips they for girls of my age. Today my guest is Alison Donnelly, who is currently the CEO of More Than Equal. More Than Equal have an ambitious goal, which is to find and develop Formula One's first female world champion. And Alison has previously worked at Number 10 as the Prime Minister's Deputy Official Spokesperson and also as Head of News. So thanks for joining me today, Alison. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role that you now have today? Yeah, so when I graduated uh, from university, I had a degree in, in politics. I went into journalism originally, so that was sort of my my first foray into the world of work. And in that role as a journalist, I worked on both kind of news, politics and sports journalism. So in the world of kind of regional newspapers in Ireland, you had to be a bit of a jack of all trades. So I had to do a bit of everything. And I think I I then left and moved to London and went into communication. So using my journalism background to work for the BBC originally. And I think what's happened in my career since is the two things I started out really enjoying, which are sport and, and kind of government and politics, are the two things I've I've sort of you know developed my career through. So I've had really interesting jobs in government. So as you said, working at number ten, working at the Treasury, and then I've had really interesting jobs in sport. So working at Sport England before this job, and now working here. And I think I've just been able to luckily take two things I really care and I'm passionate about and find jobs and persuade people to hire me. So, yeah, that's that's the kind of very quick run through of, of how I got to this role. Brilliant. So when you were at school, was there any particular subjects that you enjoyed? And did you know what you wanted to do or be or did that happen perhaps more later in life? Yeah, I always wanted to be a journalist. That was my um, and I think it was because I was quite good at English and I really enjoyed English. And it felt like if you thought about it, what could I do? Barbie, an English teacher, which I didn't want to do. Uh, I thought maybe something to do with writing and then journalism felt like a very obvious path. So I, I always had that ambition and I always wanted to write a book. And I feel lucky that I've been able to be a journalist and I, and I have written a book. But actually, after a few years in journalism, I I realised that, um, you know, I wanted to do more than just just write. And so that's why I kind of moved into communications and into marketing. But, yeah, those those were the things I enjoyed. So English, history, PE, much less interest for me in, you know, science and maths, even though those are the subjects I try and encourage my, my children into enjoying. They, they were not natural uh, go to's for me, shall we say. And I think when I grew up, people always felt like you were an English and history person or you were a maths and science person. Now, of course, that's not really true, but that's how I took it. So, yeah, th- those were the yeah. subjects for me. And, and that's how I moved into journalism originally. Cool. So I know that you did go to university, but how important do you think actually is to go to university, especially with, you know, apprenticeships, graduates, schemes and everything that companies now offer young people today? Well, the opportunities now are so much greater than when I left school. So I, I graduated school in the year 2000. So then university felt like a really important thing to do because that's what people did. Now, I think the opportunities are just so enormous and you've listed some of them that I think students have much greater choice. And therefore, really, it's about what is right for you. 
For some, it will be straight into the world of work if they're kind of feeling mature enough. For others, it's, as you say, yeah, you know, apprenticeships or training programs or undergrad or, or kind of um, graduate schemes and so on. So for me, I think really it's just important for, for students that, are, you know, prospective um, coming out of secondary school students think about what they want to do. So in short, the answer is it's important for some people. It's not important for others. What's important is you find the right thing for you, I think. And thankfully, these days, lots of options. Definitely. I agree. There's definitely a range of different things that you can do. You don't have to go to university anymore, which I think is, is great and allows a lot more, you know, options for people that maybe don't want to or maybe can't go to university for any particular reason. Well, it's also very expensive in this country. So yeah. in Ireland, where, where I went to university, uh, see, t- uh, tuition, there are no tuition fees. <laughs> so okay. um, it, it makes it sort of more financially accessible there, which is perhaps why, um, you know, it, it was a, an easy option for me. Whereas here, obviously, you know, you have to get a huge loan. So it's actually really good now that you have other options, I think, because that's such a barrier to some people. Definitely. Now, the world is changing so much and also very quickly at the same time. So what do you perhaps think work for women may look like in 10 years time or what do you hope it may look like? Yeah, great, great question. I think some of the obvious things I would say are I'd like to imagine a world of work in which, uh, you know, women are in senior decision making roles more. So currently, you know, yes, women are, you know, there are more women in senior roles than, than ever. However, in the world I work in, in sport and also in, in politics before that, there are very few women at the top. And so I'd like to see a world in which um, that gender splits more even in decision making roles. I think I'd like to see a world in which the gender pay gap is is decreased so that it's equal. (laughs) And then I think the other thing I was thinking about there is the world of work is changing so much. And a lot of it is just the advance of time, but some of it's post COVID. And if you think about it, unfortunately, women are kind of hit harder disproportionately by caring responsibilities, whether it's for children or it's parents and so on. So this new era of flexibility, I think, is really good uh, for women. And so I think maybe in decades time, this will all be bedded in and there'll be more women in the workplace more broadly because the workplace will just be more flexible to them. Um, So so I think, you know, but both those things happening at the same time makes it quite exciting. Definitely. So throughout your career, have you perhaps had any mentors or have there been anyone that, you know, you admired? Yeah, look, I, I've been lucky enough to work uh, with and around some amazing people, both both in government and in uh, in other roles. Um, it's hard to pick one or two out. Uh, I worked for an amazing man called Donald Steele at the BBC. He was an expert in communications and media. And yeah, I learned a lot from him, but also he was just a very fun uh, boss uh, and he never kind of took life too seriously even though we were often in in crisis mode at the BBC so he was a good person for me to learn from but also to remind myself that actually um in the world in the in in the world I was working in communications these aren't sort of life or death scenarios so try not yeah. to take yourself too seriously uh, and look loads of others I mean I worked for um you know uh the country's second female prime minister and, and through that job got to meet lots of fascinating leaders around the world, um, male and female. So I I haven't had a kind of mentor per se, but just been lucky enough to be surrounded by really interesting people. Yeah. Now, as part of our Reach Next Generation Summits, we look at diversity and opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities. 
Mm-hmm. As a society, do you think we're seeing more quality and perhaps, you know, in your field of work too? Um, yes and no. <laughs> so I think, of course, we've made lots of progress as a society and here in the UK on equality. However, um, there's a there's a lot further to go. So if you think about gender, for example, as I said earlier, of course, there's more women leading organisations and the gender pay gap is decreasing. But actually, we're still quite far off equality in that respect. And I think if you're talking, if you look at some of the insight around inequalities and you layer on top of that, you know, race, um, we know that like, you know, gender inequalities are worsened when you kind of intersect that with race, if that makes sense. So, you know, young black girls um, will be doing sort of will be ch- more challenged kind of disproportionately by some of the issues uh, that white girls face, but it, it will be uh, kind of worse uh, and prospects can be worse. So I think that we need to recognise that we've made lots of progress, but also kind of acknowledge uh, that there's more to do. And, and the one thing I'd say here is one of the really good things about the advent of social media and activism and so on is that a light is being shone on on inequality, you know, and whether that's to do with gender or race or the intersection of both in a really important way, you know, as we were recording this in the aftermath, say, of the Women's Football World Cup, there's a huge um, outcry about sort of sexism. And in a way, we might not have heard about that some years back. So it feels worse. But actually, these things are probably always there. And now we have an opportunity to talk about them. And then finally, in, in sport, uh, you know, there are so many gender inequalities in sport. In the sport I work in, motorsport, a huge disparity around um, opportunities for boys and girls and for men and women where the sport is very male dominated. So, yeah, we've motorsport certainly got a long way to go. Yeah, definitely. But I hope that, you know, there is progress and I hope it, you know, continues steadily and maybe gets a bit quicker too. Yes. Now, we all have busy lives, you know, whether you, you have a job, you're at university or in school. Um, so how do you maintain a good work-life balance? And also, do you have any tips for people listening? Yeah, good question. It, it is hard, you know, when you have a full-time job and you have a family uh, to do that. I think the thing I've learned in recent years is to acknowledge the importance of having a, a you know good work-life balance as opposed to never even thinking about it and trying to carve out some space for you to look after yourself. So I think it's really about, you know, forcing yourself to look at your calendar and your diary, whether it's the weekend or during the week and say, when can I have time to myself? Uh, When can I do something just for me? So for me, it might be reading a book or having a bath or exercising. But I think maintaining it's about, you know, acknowledging the importance of it and then finding the time. Yeah, I think those are some great tips and I'm sure the listeners will definitely take those on in their, you know, in their life and, you know, their future too. So do you still perhaps have any personal, professional ambitions that you wish to fulfil, you know, in the future? Yeah, definitely. I'm only 40, so hopefully I've got a long life and and career ahead of me still. I think career-wise, I'm relatively new in this job and, and you said it at the top, we've got a huge goal which is to to put a woman on the podium in formula one we haven't had a woman driving in formula one for close on 50 years so <laughs> professionally you know i've got a really ambitious um goal to to try and reach i think personally so many you know travel more show my children the world you know maybe write another book so many and i, I think it's really important to have little you know ambitions that for yourself written down or 
goals that you want to, you know, in your mind, you want to continue to achieve. And so you're not just kind of caught up in the slog of your day to day life. And actually, you're really kind of shooting for something important. Definitely. So what tips would you give girls when they start to think about their own you know, future and their career path? Yeah, I think um, maybe two, two things for me that I'm I, you know, trying to imagine myself as maybe a teenager here. I think um, knowing your strengths so and your passions. So for me, when I was growing up at that age, I knew that I could write well enough and I knew I really cared about sport. So I used those kind of strengths and passions to write a lot. So I wrote book reviews for newspapers. I wrote match reports for um, websites. I helped set up sports websites and so on. So I think the two things for me is kind of knowing your strengths and your passions and then using those to get some experience. I think it's a very attractive thing for an employer when a young person is applying for jobs or looking um for advice when you can see that they've actually worked very hard to try and get some experience, whether it's paid or unpaid, it's volunteering. Um, I think that's important. And if it's in the area, so if you love sports, you know, go and volunteer your local sports team or get involved behind the scenes and so on. And I think um, those are the things for, for young people to think about. You don't have to specialise when you're young in your mind, but, you know, having that kind of build up of knowledge about what you're good at, what you find you know, really motivates you and then doing your best to arrive in your kind of first job interview in the future with some experiences is really good. Yeah. So hypothetically, if you could work with, you know, three people day to day, you know, they can be alive, they can be dead, they can be literally anyone. Who would you choose and why? <laughs> um, I'm going to slightly cop out of this because I think it's a really difficult question and say that so long as they are the kind of people I like to work with. So the people I like to work with basically are people who work really hard, people who are kind, you know, like who are good to each other and people who make me laugh. <laughs> those I think are, I, I don't care who they are. I think it has to be those type, those kind of people. And, and I work in a very small organisation at the moment. And those are really important things that I'm looking for when I interview people or employees, because you know what, you spend so much time in the, you're going to spend a lot of time in the future, uh, Grace, with people that you work with. And so you want to enjoy spending time with them if you can. And you really do want people you can have fun with. So yeah. th those for me are kind of like the, the, the whoever those three people are, as long as they have those things, I don't mind. Brilliant. Now, before we go, can you just tell us a little bit about your time at Number 10 and some of, you know, the highlights of working for, you know, the second female prime minister? Yeah, so my job there was to kind of run the press office and then to work with her and her team around kind of media and communications and, and spokesperson um, responsibilities. I mean, it was, a it was an amazing role in so many ways because you're right at the heart of government. And in my time there, some amazing things happened and some terrible things happened. So, for example, while I was there, um, the Grenfell Tower fire tragedy happened. We had several terror attacks. The country was going through the kind of aftermath of, of the Brexit referendum. And so those are really difficult things because, of course, the prime minister is central to all the decisions that are made around these things. So I learned an awful lot about um, kind of leadership and and so on. And then the other side of it was, as you said, she was only the country's second ever female prime minister. And we, you know, we traveled the world with her 
And often we would meet in some countries, all male teams. So if you travel with the prime minister, she'll have a small entourage with her, you know, some advisors and some, um, you know, experts in specific areas. And sometimes you would turn up and you'd meet another country's prime minister or president and they would turn up with all male teams. And I think it was always very powerful to be there with her because she, you know, had a really healthy gender balance. And that made me feel, although I'm Irish, very proud to be working um, for the UK government and to be representing it, because I think in that era, the, it felt like we were making pretty good progress on equality. But um, yeah, I was privileged to work there and um, yeah. an experience unlike any other. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, going into number 10. Um, it just sounds great and also very fun. I'm sure it was. Yeah, I think when you work in jobs like that, you work incredibly long hours. Um, I left uh, not long before the COVID outbreak and, you know, when it was happening, I was thinking about my colleagues and the crazy hours they would work. But yeah, yeah you, you do have some fun um, when you work long hours with people. But that's why it's important to like your colleagues. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Alison. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make in their career and future too. So keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. And more details about us and our upcoming summits will be at reachnextgeneration.com. Thank you to our partners and sponsors, Experian, Barclays, Domestic in General, Staffline and the Ardonna Group.